1977, and I was at Trevecca Nazarene University, and I had fallen in love with Sherry, um, who I met the second week of Trevecca. I'll never forget how much I loved her. I, the first time I saw her, if you've ever been there, they have these long steps down from the administration building. They're like about eight feet long and one drop and eight feet long. And Sherry, was, and she was this beautiful, tall, blonde-headed girl, and I knew she was way out of reach for me. <laughs> and uh, I just, but you know, a fat boy can dream. And so <laughs> I dreamed, I watched her, I would get out on the, on the lawn and I would be laying out there acting like I was reading a book. You know, you pull the book out and act like you're reading the book, and I would just watch her. I knew when she was coming from the ad building, I knew when she'd go into the music. She was a music uh, major, and she walked through, and I just watched her, and she walked down. She had long blonde hair down to the back of her knees, and she would come down that, those steps, and, the, and she would take that step, and the wind would catch her hair, and it just go, looked like a golden wing. Oh, man, it got my heart. We fell in love, and it was our first winter together, and we were there. And at Trevecca, you, we did a lot of sleigh riding when it snowed because it didn't snow a lot. And when you saw snow in Nashville, you enjoyed the snow. And so Sherry and I were driving down on the sleds like everyone else down by the, uh, by the administration building and down Hart Street. And at the bottom of Hart Street was kind of like a dead end. There was a railroad tracks. And my, my wife and I, by the way, let me ask you, have you guys ever, has the Bible ever messed with you? I mean, did you ever want to do something and then the Bible said you couldn't? How many of you can remember that experience? Or have you ever wanted to not do something that the Bible said you have to? It just, it just messes with you. You know, I just, I just like to just, wouldn't you like to just kind of just get rid of the Bible, just throw it away so it didn't mess with us? Somebody say no. Say boo. But the way we live sometimes, we kind of live that way. So I, I got Sherry on that sled and I pushed off, you know, like the old bobsleds, you know, like that Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> Y'all remember that? <laughs> and, then, and I'm driving down, and we took the big old turn, and we had to be going at that point maybe 40, 50 miles an hour. Sherry was uh, there, and I was behind her. And uh, we come down, and there's this, there's this gentleman that's not a gentleman. And he was standing in the middle of the road, and he had a sled. And he saw us coming, and he stepped back, and he threw the sled right in front of our sled. I mean, it was ice. It wasn't just, you know, in Nashville, if it rain, snows, it usually comes ice pretty quick because it doesn't stay cold enough to keep the snow soft. It gets hard. And, and, and I turned that sled, and I flipped, and I flipped over about three times, and I hurt my head, and my girlfriend got hurt. And I want to tell you that I got up off of my sled, and I came after that guy. I came out. I was going to jack him up. All those old things rose up in me again. You remember the incident with the crowbar? All of a sudden, it started rising up again, and I'm running out there, and, and then I remembered the Bible. Damn, Bible says, love those who hate you. That's mother, don't do that. And he said, if someone hits you on the right cheek, turn to them also the other cheek. And I was so mad at that Bible. But you know, it helped me because I stopped. And I actually decided I wasn't going to hit this guy or hurt him. I walked up to him and I said, I just want you to know, man, I love you. And I'm praying for you. You know what he said? He said, man, don't say stuff like that to people that do that to you. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it was 
the funniest thing I ever saw. This guy got all humble and broken up. But the, the word of God, I found something. The word of God works. Amen. Turn to somebody next to you and say, the word of God works. Say, even if you don't like it, even if you don't do it, it still works. I want to talk to you about the Word of God tonight. We discussed Monday night um, the prescription for effective prayer. Tonight, I want to talk to you about something even more wonderful, or at least as wonderful. See, the prescription for, for effective prayer is listening to the living God, listening to the living Word of God, finding daily information from God that maybe you might not find anywhere else. So prayer, I think, is the foundation to our faith. Uh, that was the sermon we spoke back on, on, on the Monday night. Tonight I want to discuss to you the written Word of God. We're going to talk about the written Word of God. Amen? His Word is good. Let's say it together. His Word is good. Amen. His Word is truth. Amen. His Word is life. Right I know we like to say that kind of stuff, but I'm not sure we really believe it. When the rubber meets the road, and when somebody gives us some nonverbal communication, we start thinking. I know, what's the, I know that's what the Bible says. What we do is we, we develop this Mr. T religion. You know what Mr. T religion? Y'all remember Mr. T? Remember him? You know, he was, he was on that A-team thing. He had the mohawk. And he, and he fought Rocky Balboa. Right? He was one of the fighters. Well, I read one time after the Rocky fight, I think, that someone said Mr. T actually got saved. And Mr. T got saved, and when he got saved, it said that a guy approached him, some Christian guy approached Mr. T and said, Mr. T, you just used to be a mean sucker. I mean, you just bust somebody right in their face if they looked at you funny. He said, now that you're a Christian, he said, if somebody did something to you to harm you, what would you do? He said, hmm. he said, I might know Jesus. But I ain't Jesus. You mess with me, I'll bust you up. See, that's a that's the kind of theology that doesn't understand the Bible. Because it's easy to bust somebody up when they hit you and mess with you. Amen. But you don't find many books that tell you to do that. Most books tell you, go ahead and just get back at them. I hear parents all the time. Well, you go ahead and you just you just prove how bad you are. I've, I've heard parents and I've read books about it. But this book is a little bit different. This book tells us different things. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, uh, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Question tonight, do you correctly handle the word of truth? I mean, how many of you, if you have a job and you have this amazing resource that makes you do your job excellently, would never look at it? That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? You'd be like stupid. Like if you had the best doctor in the world that knew the cure to every disease and you went to the guy that got his MD on the internet for 50 bucks, that would be stupid. Right? But I'm afraid sometimes that's what we do. We get so preoccupied with everybody else's ideas, everybody else's words, and everybody else's truths and insights that somehow when we start reading the Bible, we go, wait, no, wait, no, 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 no. Wait, that's confusing. The Bible becomes... Uh, we, we, we indict the Bible instead of the book that we read and all the insight we got from other people and other things. And we forget that the Word of God is truth. I had to make a decision early in my, in my education. I tell you, I went to four years of Bible college and three years of, uh, of seminary graduate school. And there was a time in my seminary when I had to make a decision. 
I decide I'm either going to believe that the Word of God is true or it's not. Biblical criticism, redactionism, all, all this different stuff, with the, the, all the scholarly stuff coming around. I had some professors tell me that, that the Old Testament, you know, like Jonah and Job, those were just myths that, that Moses told his kids. They didn't really happen. I mean, they told us that. And I started thinking, well, wait a minute. Either it's the Bible or it's not. And I decided I just don't believe that it is. It's God's Word. I'm just going to live on it. I know it's stupid. It makes no sense. It's senseless sometimes to believe the Bible. It just, the Bible just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense sometimes. It messes with you. Psalms 119.16 says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Amen. Amen. See, here's a question I'd like to have us answer tonight. This is the question. Do you neglect the Word of God? Do we neglect the Word of God? Here's how you can tell if you neglect the Word. If when you read it, it confuses you. Instead of liberating you. When your life conflicts with what it says, and you question it instead of your life. When the sin that you commit becomes socially normative, you want to go ahead and keep committing that sin instead of doing what the Bible says. That's when you know that you probably have neglected the Word of God. I fear we've forgotten what the Word of God is and what it does. I want to share it with you. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I just want you to listen. The writer of Hebrews is telling us what the Word is and what it does. I just want you to just kind of just listen along. It says, for the Word of God is alive. Somebody say, praise God means it's living it doesn't die it's still alive even today and it's active that means it's doing stuff it doesn't just sit there laying a book it's doing stuff it is it has power in it and it says it's sharper than any double-edged sword that means it goes in real smooth but it still cuts deep <laughs> amen that's what the word of god does it said it it penetrates See, most of us don't want to say anything penetrating. Most of us will be surface and stay on the superficial, you know, because if you get to penetrating, people start getting bothered by it. Well, you don't want to get up in somebody's business, amen? Stay out of there. No, the Word of God, the Word of God gets all up in your business. Where I come from, they say it gets all up in your business. It just does. It's just, it's just what it is. It doesn't try to. It's just truth just kind of comes out and it gets up in there. And you've got to deal with it. You've got to make a choice. And that's why it gets confusing to us. That's why I think we've neglected it. Because when that happens, you have to make a choice. And most people choose to just say, I'm not going to let that bother me right now. I'm going to keep doing this thing that I do or, or not do the thing I know I should do. It penetrates. Even to the dividing of the soul and spirit. Now, wouldn't you think if... Wouldn't you think if the writer of the Hebrews told us about the Word of God, he tells how wonderful it is and how sweet it is and it unites and brings together? He doesn't say that. He said it divides. Not, not just the hair. It doesn't just part the hair. It says it divides even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It goes deep. It's a double-edged sword. It judges. Whoa. We're not supposed to judge. This, this is old-fashioned religion, this stuff. I mean, who wants to be around a book that judges? 
We don't like anybody judges. Anything that judges. Why would we? We ought to just take that passage and just, because that's, let's just, that confuses us. Let's throw that one out. Funny thing, if you throw it out, the funny thing is it doesn't go away. It's still there. You know why? Because it's living and it's active. You don't have to abide by it, but it's still going to be there. You can throw it away. You can burn it. They tried to do that in communist country, burn it up, and it grew faster and sold faster and people read it more. The more people don't want it, the more people want it. The more somebody tries to shut it down, the louder it becomes. That's what the Word of God, it's the same way, not just in countries, but it's the same way in our lives. You know this. So what we try to do is we try to kind of get away from it, try to hide from it so it, so it doesn't impact us, doesn't affect us. We don't want it to get in. We put up these shields and, and these protections so we stay away from it, but it's still alive and active, and it's coming after you and me. It judges. It doesn't even say it judges what we do. You'd think it would just really be real clean if it just says it just judges your actions. Judges what you do. Because we can be pretty good at tricking people into thinking we're pretty good, except for one hour a week. Well, see, it doesn't judge. Just, in fact, it doesn't even tell us it judges our actions. It judges the thing that causes our actions. <laughs> it judges the thing that, 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 that makes our actions happen. It judges, it gets to the core. You remember? It's, it's sharp on a double-edged sword. It goes deep. It penetrates. So it judges the thing that causes it. Aren't you glad for that about the Word? That it doesn't just judge the actions. That takes away legalism altogether. There's no legalism in the Word because it judges the thing that causes the bad stuff. Amen? It's kind of like, you know, the guy that went to the doctor and he, he, had, he had cancer and, and one doctor said, well, we're going to have to do major surgery and you only have a 25% chance to live. He said, I want a second opinion. Went to another doctor. He said, well, you know, we could, we could take off your arm and you might be all right. You'd probably die in a couple months, but you'd, you'd live for a couple. And another doctor said, we'll take off your, your finger where it all started. Which one do you want? You want the cancer out? Or you just want to cut your finger off? That's a kind of a crude illustration. But see, the word, it, it, it goes deep. See, I think, I've been praying all day for you. And, and I think the word's been going deep into us this week. Amen. I do. I think the word's been Amen. kind of getting up in our business. I think it's kind of been bothering us. I think it's kind of confusing us. It, it does. It just, it just bothers me. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You can fake us out. You can convince us you're just the most wonderful, godly person. I know what I see it all the time. I had a lady come to my church in Kansas City. She came to church on Sunday night. She was real skinny. She weighed about 80 pounds. Her name is Felicia. She'd come to church and she'd, we'd get to singing and this old, this woman, she starts, she'd come up every time we have altar. She starts speaking in tongues. Oh, she raised her hand. She gets all blessed. She'd walk around. Oh, something. But there was something weird about her, something wrong. I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I didn't want to touch her anyway. And then another lady came and got saved. Her name is Shirley. We call her Shirley $16. <laughs> the reason we call her Shirley $16 is because the first time she came to church, she asked me for $16. <laughs> She was, a, she was a crack addict, surely was, and she stopped doing crack the day she got saved. And she's serving Jesus gloriously right now, but she stopped doing crack that day that she came to get that $16. And she had hocked all of her grandma's jewelry at, the, at, the, at, the, at that pawn shop, and she had to get $16 by the next morning or they were going to sell it. 
So we called Shirley, $16. I got to talking to Shirley, and she said, Pastor, she said, thank you for visiting people. She said, particularly for me. I said, I never visited you. She said, yes, you did. You didn't know you visited me. I said, what do you mean? Well, she said, two weeks ago, you came to, to my friend's house. Who? She pointed. She said, Felicia. I said, Felicia? You were in Felicia's house? She said, yeah. What were you doing in Felicia's house? She said, we were smoking crack. <laughs> so you, were, you what? She said, yeah, we smoked crack about 10 times a day. In fact, on that day, Felicia said, let's hurry up and get our crack smoke so we can go to church. Shirley said, I ain't going to church high on crack. She said, God don't care what you do. Just need to get to church. So Felicia came to church. She got all this stuff going. I pulled her aside later and I said, I said, I actually went to her house and she was living with some, some guy. I had to sit down and talk to her. I said, Man, I love you, Felicia. I want you in the kingdom. But I said, Do you think you're full of the spirit? She said, Yeah, I'm filled with the spirit. I said, No, you're not. You're not filled with the spirit. I said, You're you're full of crack. She got mad at me. She didn't come back to church. She's still using crack. <laughs> See, the word, it penetrates. It just, she could have, if I didn't know that about her, I would not have known that. But the fact was, she was full of sin. See, you can trick us. But see, the one that you're going to have to stand before one day, you can't trick him. Because <laughs> he sees He he judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You ready for this one? This is, I don't like this. Nothing. Not even the pimple that you've covered up with makeup. Nothing. (laughs) I tried that one time. It it didn't work. Kind of like made that pimple worse. (laughs) I was a preacher. My wife said, hey, I got some stuff that can help you with that. You know, I had one of those in and I put it on, and that thing was all blown up after. I said, I ought to keep that thing clean. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. I just want you to pause for a minute. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I ask you a question. Don't get excited. We're not done yet. I just want you to think for a minute about that scripture. I want you just to go inside of your heart right now. Because I believe God's been doing this. I've been praying for you today. I've been praying all day for you. God, I want these people to be liberated. I want you to use this church. And if there's sin, there's there's hidden sin, there's things in their lives that isn't pleasing to you, God, you're not going to be able to use it. I just want you, no one look around. Please respect the anonymity of your brothers and sisters. Is there something hidden in your life? It could be a drug problem. It could be a pornography problem. It could be a... It could be a, a gossip problem. It, it, it could be a, a, a dis, it could be a some kind of a lie or deception that you're promoting. Or I just want to ask you: Is there something? I want you to be honest. Nobody look around. Please be honest tonight. Because here's what I know: I know the word of God is right now in this moment is penetrating. You'd say. There's some things probably in my life, Pastor Mark, that, that are hidden that I need to get exposed and need to get rid of. Honestly, nobody looking around. Just quickly, just slip your hand up. I'm not going to call you to the altar. I just want to know, thank you. All over, go ahead and raise your hands. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I've got something hidden. Thank you, thank you. There's some hidden things in my life that I need to get exposed. I don't want to. I don't like the idea. Thank you. Others, there's some things hidden that I need to get exposed. See, I've been praying for you. Thank you very much. Anybody else? 
Yes, thank you. I'll see that hand. I'll see that hand. Yes. Anybody else? There's some things hidden. Thank you over there. Anybody else? I need some things exposed in my life. I don't want to keep them. They're bothering me. Thank you, Father, for the faithfulness and honesty of our brothers and sisters. And I pray that you continue to work tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. <laughs> uncovered and laid bare. Some things don't need to be, some things just need to be hidden. I was driving down the road the other day and I saw about a 340-pound man out cutting grass in St. Louis, Missouri with Speedos. That should not have been uncovered and laid bare. That looks so horrible. Imagine what it's going to look like when you and I stand before God. The Bible says that everything that was spoken in the inner chambers will be shouted from the mountaintops. Imagine what it's going to be like. What would have benefited us if we gained the whole world and yet forfeited our own soul? What would have benefited us if we'd lived our life and hid these things in our lives and we thought we could get by with it and thought we were hiding something from God and from people? And because people thought we were okay, we thought we were okay. And we convinced ourselves that we were. And then when we start reading the Bible, we realize we're not. So we just kind of stay away from it. And the guilt goes away for a season. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to him whom we must all give an account. He's not like those people at the, you know, airport. I mean, they, they look at you through those x-rays. I'm thinking, oh, my heavens, I would not want that job. <laughs> and they can't say, that man fat. <laughs> they can't say that. They just got to, but see, it'll be all un, 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 just laid bare, and, and we're going to have to give an account for it. We have to, who we are will really be exposed before, before all of creation. So what does the Bible say to us about, about what it does and what it is? I want to talk to you about what the Bible says the Word of God is. It's not going to be a long sermon, and everybody said amen. You think, I don't believe you, because that was just your introduction, dude, and it's already been... <laughs> Number one, you got notes, fill them out. The Word of God is powerful. <clears throat> the Word of God is powerful. I want to tell you, I had experience. Now, i got to take my jacket off, Pastor. I'm sorry, but I am. It's hotter than bean dip in here to me. But I don't want anybody else to be cold, so you have to forgive me. Um, I was living in Albuquerque, and, and we had staff meeting in the mornings, and we we go at 5 a.m. My staff would gather because we had two locations. We'd gather there, and I'd get there about 3 in the morning because I just don't need to sleep much. And I'd get up and pray for a couple hours. And I'd come in there one day, and I'd come in, I'd have my Bible. Now, there were like three restaurants, three restaurants, I mean, three, three different units in this restaurant way back. I mean, that probably seated 300 people. It's right across from the University of New Mexico, this restaurant. It's called The Frontier. And so I'd go all the way to the back. There's nobody else there. It was open 24-7 then. It isn't anymore. And I sit there, and I open my Bible up all alone. And, and read my Bible and, and just kind of study a little bit and think. And there was this gentleman sitting over in the same room. He had a long ponytail. He had hair about like mine, but he had like a three-foot-long pinky-sized <laughs> ponytail. That's New Mexico, I'll tell you. That's what you see there. He was an older fella. Well, so I'm sitting there, and then after about an hour, oh, maybe by then it was maybe 4, 4.30, the staff would be showing up about 30 minutes, this guy hollers at me. I thought he'd lost his mind. He said, are you going to start preaching next? 
Let me say it again. He said, are you going to start preaching next? What? I'm like, dude's lost his mind. There's a lot of crazy people running around the inner city. You know, you think he's schizophrenic, whatever. I just kind of, dis- I just kind of ignored it. And I went to get a cup of coffee because I thought this guy was getting caustic. And maybe I'd tell the manager that he's got a nutcase back there that's yelling at people for no reason. So I went to get coffee. When I came back, my Bible was on the ground and all my papers were strode all over the floor and the dude was gonzo. He was out of there. Histoire. So I was confused. I picked my stuff up. I figured the door was open. The wind blew it over. Well, the next week I came back. And I'm sitting there, and he's over there again. Mr. Ponytail, Pinky Tail. He's sitting over there, and so I got, it's just kind of weird when somebody just kind of, you ever sat somewhere and felt like somebody's watching you? My wife says she feels like that sometimes around men. It's like, like, dude, you're sitting two seats behind me, and I felt like he's staring at me. Every time you look at him, he's not, but you think he is. That's what this guy was like. And so, so I got up. I was a little uncomfortable. I go get a cup of coffee. I came back, and my Bible was gone. It was gone. And so was Mr. Pinky Tail. It's a true story. So I came back the next week. I got me a new Bible. I figured the Lord just wanted me to have a new Bible, so I went and bought me a new Bible. And same thing happened, and the Bible was gone, and dude was gone too. So the next week, I come in there. Old Pinky Tail sitting back there about 4 a.m. I had a bag full of Bibles. See, we had, a, we had a thrift store. We always get these Bibles donated, you know. So I come up and I say, excuse me, sir, it's, it's clear to me that you must really love the Bible because you stole two of mine. I've got ten of them here. He got up, started yelling and cussing and screaming and swearing and, and spitting and, and slobbering. And he ran out of there like, like he'd been shot. The manager kicked him out so he could never come back again. Why, why, why would he do that? The very presence of the Word of God was offensive to him. Nobody was reading. I know you don't believe this. I know you're thinking, yeah, Bane comes up with all these crazy stories. This is a true story. This actually happened to me. Turns out the guy was a political science professor at the University of New Mexico. So the Bible confused him. It really confused him because he thinks everything's just kind of, you know, just random accident. You know, look at your hand. You think, well, look at all those. That's just random, random things, you know. There's no right? orderless, randomless things. It just kind of naturally kind of happened. Just, you know, a couple of cells kind of hit together. And before you know it, we got the planet. We got people. That's what they think. I found out that the Word of God is very powerful. I want to tell you, it changed my life. I've been around church people and church things. But when I met the guy at Virginia Beach, and he said a scripture, he quoted a scripture to me. He said, the Bible says the gate to hell is broad and most people find it. He says, but the gate to hell is very, heaven is very narrow. Only a few people go in that gate. And he looked at me and he said, are you going to be one of the few that makes it through the narrow gate? When that happened, I could just feel that sword. It went right into my heart. And I knew right then. I knew that there was something about the Word of God that was powerful. I'd been around Christians. I'd been around the church. But the Word of God. It's is quick, and it's, it's a living, and it's active, and it penetrates, folks. I want to tell you, the Word of God is powerful. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Number two, the Word keeps us from sin. Whoa, wait a minute. You're getting a little bit off the deep end now, right? Come on. Kind of like the other night, old Paul. What, what, who do you think he is? 
be anxious about nothing. If you hadn't had my problems, Paul, if you had my problems, you wouldn't say something like that. The word confuses us sometimes, doesn't it? It says it keeps us from sin. See, I love this about the Bible. I love the fact that the word keeps you from sin because I don't like sinning. I don't like the guilt and the shame that I feel. When I, when I fail God, man, I feel bad for like three weeks. I, I got to climb back up that mountain of forgiveness. I'm full of shame. I feel horrible. I, can't, I don't want to do it. So I'm glad somebody says you don't have to do it. It's not the Nazarenes or the Westerns. It's the Bible that says that. Right here it says, Psalm 119, 11, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What is it that keeps you from sinning? It's the Word. It's the Word of God inside of you. I mean, the Word of God, it's powerful. That ought to be liberating. That ought to bless your soul tonight to think, man, I don't have to sin. When I talk to drug addicts and crack addicts who've been using drugs, uh, they love this idea. And a guy come to me, Juan Pacheco. He was, a, he was an inner city gangster all his life. He spent 37 years in the federal penitentiary. He came out and he came to my church. And one morning I preached on this passage. And I said, the word of God can set you free from sin. He came up to me. This true story. He came to the altar. I'll never forget it. Stand down here. And Pastor Steve was standing next to me, Steve Sanchez. And he said, Pastor, he said, I've been a Christian now for, for about 25 years. I got saved and I got into the penitentiary. But he said, the preachers in there said that I have to sin every day in thought, word, and deed. And I've been using a little bit of, little bit of, of, of heroin along the way. I've never heard anybody tell me that I, I don't have to keep doing that. He said, man, that's the best news I ever heard. He said, here. He said, dude gives me a couple cracks of a rock, croquet, rock cocaine and a, and a match and a, like a spoon and, and a syringe. I'm thinking, dude, don't. He gave it to me. So I handed it to Steve. I said, take care of that. <laughs> Thank God for good staff. Amen. He took it for me. He didn't like it either. I want you to know that when I... When the Word of God comes out, it penetrates. And I think it's been working on us this week. Hey, I tell you, it's working on me. I preached myself under conviction the other night, man. I had to pray more than I've ever prayed in my life the other day. I hate my preaching. It messes me up. The Word messes me up. James 4, 7 says, these are some scriptures. Now, when I was a brand new Christian, I just want you all to hear this, particularly the, the, the young Christians or people that are trying to serve God, and you've got these temptations, and you're fighting them off, and they're just hard. And I used to quote, the, I used to write these scriptures all over my, if you, if you got in my car and you, and you dropped down the, the visor, it would be like 15 passages of scripture on resisting temptation and sin. You know, this one was one of my favorite ones. It says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a good scripture, man. If you're under temptation, you've got some trial, you've got some sin that's kind of pressing into your life, you just quote that sucker a couple times. But here's the deal. It says there's a, there's a qualifier to resisting the devil who will flee from you. You have to submit to God. You can't beat the devil. Only he can. So the only way you can make him run from you is if you submit to him. That means whatever the word says, you do. Whatever it says don't do, don't do. Amen? And then you've got the power of God. And you've got confidence that God's with you. And the devil has to run. I love that scripture. This one too. I had this one posted everywhere. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is. I love this. Ready? Now, y'all ready for this? If you're struggling with temptation, you got some kind of issue in your life, this is good stuff here. So, there is therefore now no temptation. I don't care if you're an alcoholic, a drug addict. I don't care what your, what your sin is. I don't care what your temptation is. I don't care what your, what your problem is. There is no temptation taking you, but such as common to man. <laughs> That's kind of God's way of saying, suck it up, dude. 
said, you're not, you think you got it bad? You don't have a bad it worse than anybody else. Everybody else is equally tempted according to, according to this passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul said that. He said, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. You ready for this one? I love this. This is the way it goes. But through the temptation, not around it, through it. So when I quit smoking, I loved to smoke. I smoked Marlboro Box. I loved smoking. I, was, I worked out in the trees, and it would be in the wintertime. The only warm thing around was a cigarette. I'd get my tree cut, and I'd stop and take a cigarette. But I just loved it. I smoked cigarettes from the time I was about nine years old. I started smoking those things. I loved them. And I knew I had to quit. I knew that God wasn't pleased with me smoking cigarettes. I just knew it. I knew he didn't like that, and I just I didn't want to offend him, and I didn't like it anyway. I'd get up in the morning. I'd cough and spit and, and throw up stuff out of, my, out of my lungs every morning. I think it probably was more the pot than, that, than the cigarettes, but it's both. And I just decided one day, I'm going to quit smoking. So you know what I did? I didn't hide those cigarettes and run from See, I felt like the power of God is more powerful than the power of sin. I just did. So I looked that cigarette right in the face. I stuck one in my mouth. And I went to my business. So when, so when you're in a tree surgeon in Virginia, there's a lot of hurricanes and bad storms that come through there. And what they do is they have days when you have to be in the shop and wait for a call. Because a tree will blow over on a wire. And they got, you got to go right now and go get it off because they would not cut the power off. I had to climb those trees, and every time I'd stick my hook in, I mean, it was, that's, I think that's where I got all my energy. Uh, the, 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 that's why you had, you had to wait there when there was a storm, and that happened to be a storm day. And I was in that building with 15 smokers, cussers, drinkers, swearing and cussing and telling nasty jokes, smoking cigarettes everywhere. I got a cigarette in my mouth, and I said, I am not going to smoke. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist this temptation. I'm going to go through it, not around it. Because if I go around it, I'm going to face it next week or tomorrow. Somebody else is going to put one in my face and blow smoke in my face, and it's going to hurt me. See, here's what Paul says. He says, and I'm not suggesting you should try to you tempt the devil. I'm just saying that this scripture says this. There is no temptation taking you but such as common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but through the temptation, make a way to escape so that you can bear it. See, I think the power of God is greater than the power of sin. Amen? I think it's greater than the power of your temptation. I think it's greater than the power of your addiction. If you believe that, say amen. amen. It is. The Word of God is amazing. It's powerful. Well, that's the way I got through that. See, here's the thing. It doesn't say uh, that, 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 that I, I can keep on sinning until, until it becomes socially acceptable. Until the churches all say that it's okay to smoke. See, if it's bad for me and God doesn't want me to do it, then I can't do it. I don't care how many other people do it. I don't care. Because the Word of God corrected, convicted me. When the Word of God convicts me, that's more important than any social standing. Amen? Number three. We're moving right along. Aren't you happy? It teaches us how to handle life. Now, I'm going to get to some things that might be personal for you. Don't take offense. I'm just going to tell you what the Word of God says. Amen? How many of you love me? You have to love. If you don't love me, you're not going to heaven. How many of you love me? Yeah, just say amen is enough. You know? <laughs> You go embarrass those people around you that aren't raising their hands. <laughs> it teaches us how to handle life. A, our families, how to stay married, how to raise good children. The Word of God does that. Do you believe that? You know, there, I got to tell you, there have been times when I wanted to leave my wife. I did. There was times when my wife was mean to me. 
I know you can't believe that. Anybody be mean to me, but <laughs> she was me. You know, she, we went through a dear, tough time. Our daughter was about to die. Her parents hated my guts. They hated my guts. I'm, they hated my guts. I'm like, if you can hate somebody's guts, they hated my guts, if, that, if that's possible. Her, the first time her father met me, I dated Sherry for a year and a half at Trevecca, and her parents came to get her, um, visit her Thanksgiving, and then we had another two weeks before Christmas, and then we'd all go home. And she lived in Florida, her parents did, and I lived in Virginia. But I'd moved there, and we were there, and we dated for a year and a half. And her father never met me before because Sherry didn't tell him about me. The reason she didn't tell him about me is because she knew that he would hate me. And his mother would hate That's why. Because her mom and dad didn't, didn't obey the word. They obeyed traditions. See, they felt like that they were better than other people that had sin in their life. And that if you had sin in your life previously, that I'm better than you if I didn't have that. That she knew this about them. Legalism. Well, finally, they came to visit her. And he came into my, my room, Benson Dorm, fourth floor. I'll never forget. He walks in. Knocks on the door. I said, yes, he said, you on Mark Payne? I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm Will Thrasher. I said, well, welcome. Good to meet you, sir. I, you have an amazing daughter. She's just wonderful. Amen. He didn't respond. He didn't flinch. He didn't smile. He was all business, baby. He said, I need to ask you two questions, Mr. Bain. I said, yes, sir. He said, have you ever done drugs? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he said, number two, have you ever done LSD? Yes, sir, a lot of it. I felt like I needed to be honest. Through the temptation, not around. He said, thank you very much. He went and got Sherry and took her home. That was it. She was gone. No more Trevecca. <laughs> the night before we got married, we dated four years. I want you to know I never touched my wife once sexually in four years of dating. Not once. I never put a hand under her clothes. I just want you to know that's what Christians do. Because the Word of God is more powerful than any temptation. Amen? Come on. I know you all think that's weird for somebody to say it out public. But guys, we need to tell our kids what God's Word says about that stuff. I, my, my hands were clean and my heart was pure through four years of dating. And it was not easy. But it was right. Am I being too honest with you guys? I don't know the culture. Y'all might stone me or something. I, you don't know. I, you know. So, so, you know, I, uh, the night before our wedding... I drove all the way down. We were going to have the wedding in Homestead, Florida. It's the last city before the first key. It's the last city on, on, the, on the tip of Florida. That's where they live. They're very, very wealthy people. They have all these cars and tennis courts and ping, ten, all swimming pools, all this stuff, like the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> and uh, they took us out to a really nice dinner that night, the night before our wedding, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> And they said this to me. They said, Mark, we don't like you. We're never going to like you. We don't forgive you for your past. We'll never forgive your past. We don't want you in our family. We don't ever want you in our family. But if you decide to go through with this tomorrow, I'm like, what? Four years of dating? Man, this ain't happening tomorrow, baby. I've been good. I didn't say that to them. <laughs> he said, but if you decide to go through with this tomorrow, we'll try to be nice. That's what they said. They hated my guts. For 35 years, they hated my guts. Her mother passed away two years ago. And she never was kind to me, but in her, in her, in her will, she said, I'd like for Mark Bain to officiate at my funeral. <laughs> it's, like, it's like her saying, 
I'm going to give him a shot to get back at me, but I'm not going to be here to hear it. <laughs> now, I love her. If, I, if my wife knew I told that story, she would be so mad at me. The reason I told that story is to tell you that if you're her and you love me and you're going through all this and your daughter is dying, it's really difficult on you to manage all that and to be nice when it looks like your world is crumbling and falling. So I'm not indicting my wife. But there were times when my wife was mean. And I had some friends that weren't good Christians. They'd say, Mark, you don't have to stay with her. You, 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 you need to find somebody that can make you happy. And I went in the Bible. I started looking for that scripture. I thought, you know, you know and, and I went back and I looked at my marriage vows. You know that ones that say, I will love, honor, and cherish you until you get ugly and heavy? Not in there. Said, I will love, honor, and cherish you until you get mean. Not in there. I'll love, honor, and cherish you until you leave me. Not in there. No, it's until death. Dead gum it, that Bible. And it just messes you up. But it's good. Somebody say it's good. Turn to somebody next to you and say, it's hard, but it's good. It is. Here's how you, here, here's a simple answer. Here it is. How do we stay married, raise our kids good, and have good families? Here it is. You ready? Be absolutely selfless. Amen. Kill yourself. Now, I don't mean physically. Amen. Remember Uncle George the other night on the table? Remember that? You see, if you crucify your own will and your own appetites and your own desires, when you do that, when somebody's mean to you, you still love them because you're dead. You don't care. You don't love them because of how they treat you or how pretty they look or how nice they are. You love them because you made a choice, a covenant to love that person until death. I, can't, I know somebody's going to get mad at me in here that's been through a divorce. I'm not preaching against all that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You can deal with the Bible. So I want to show you a couple of videos that remind us of the kind of church we don't want to be. If we can turn the lights off and show those, please. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Amen. Go on to that next one. It's all about me. all about you. Now, the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. 
everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. For only $19.95. Operators are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. Call 1 800 Me, Me, Me. Or order online at MeMyselfAndI.com. All today because no one can praise you like you. Amen. That's not the kind of church we want to be, amen? But fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of churches are becoming that. They're self-centered, and when they come to church, it's got to be just right for them, and everything's got to be, because if it isn't, they're going to go to the church down the street that teaches what they want to live. You see, the Word of God is living and active, and it penetrates, amen? And, and, it, and it lasts forever. It's not going to go away. If we're not careful, we'll become selfish too. I've had experiences like this in my life where I've had families that went into a divorce because they worked with someone that said they need to be happy. And, and if I preached on the Word, they'd get mad at me. They, they wanted me to find a way to make that not true. See, the Word messes with us. Just turn to somebody next to you and say, the Word messes with us. Tell them. Go ahead. Do it. That'd be fun. Yeah. His name was Charlie. I'll never forget in Arkansas. And he'd been married. For about 27 years, had two kids, and one day he decided he was going to divorce his wife. He, he told me. He's very wealthy, like worth, like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 million dollars. And the preacher supported him. His wife left the church because she was faithful and innocent. I asked him one day, I said, Charlie, why are you, why are you divorcing your wife? What, was she unfaithful? He said, no, nah, she's just too large, and she's ugly, and she's mean. So I went back in the Bible and I tried to find that verse. Wasn't in there. The church is becoming, guys, we have to be careful. See, see, if we're not careful, there'll be nothing that's foundational believable anymore. We've got to stand on something, folks. And I've, I've just chosen to stand on the Word. B, let me just remind you, B, um, the Word of God helps us with our, our finances. All right now, somebody say Amen. Are y'all, I'm, not the, I'm not your pastor, so you don't have to worry. I don't know how much you're giving or anything, or I'm not your treasurer or anything. So I don't know anything about this. I'm just doing what God told me, right? So hang in there. So here's what the Bible says. Put him and his stuff first. Two important scriptures we need to talk about here. You ready? And the Bible's better than Dave Ramsey. In fact, Dave Ramsey uses the Bible. Y'all know who Dave Ramsey is down up here? Okay, good. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Dave Ramsey is, he does the Financial Peace University, teaches people how to get out of debt and get free from the bondage of all their, all their bills and all their debt and all their interests and all that. So he's, a great, he's really good, and he's a believer, and he teaches biblical truths. Matthew 6, 31 to 33 says this. So do not worry. Let's say it together. Can we read? Let's stand up for a minute. You've been sitting down for a while. Just, yeah, just tell the guy next to you, say, just stand up, quit whining. It's all right. It'll be okay. All right, you ready? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen? Amen. 
Thank you. You may be seated. I'll tell you a quick story. I was pastoring in, in, uh, in Albuquerque, and, and, uh, and I had a young man in my church. He was a new Christian. He worked for uh, Citibank. He was over like 150 people. He was like uh, in, in, um, in, in uh, some kind of HR department. And, 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 um, and he came to church one Sunday, and him and his wife got in an argument. They got in a fight. They were both new Christians. They got in a big old fight. And uh, he came to me. He said, Pastor, he said, I want you to pray for me because me and Val are having a fight. I said, I'll pray for you, Michael. Well, they went to the Sunday school class, and after the Sunday school class, Mike came into my office and he was lit, man. He was mad. He wanted to, he, he wanted to, he, he was yelling and screaming at me. I said, Mike, what's the matter, brother? He said, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe what happened in my Sunday school class. I said, well, tell me what happened. Now, Chuck and Michelle were really godly people and they taught the adult Sunday school class. What they had done is they'd gone to that class and what had happened, here's why Mike and Valerie were arguing, because it was back to school time, right? And, and she's used to spending like three or $400 on buying new clothes for her kids for school. And Mike had saved that money to pay tithe. And she said, no, she said, God understands my kids need clothes. Well, I got to tell you, I appreciate that. But they, I never saw their kids naked. Their kids had nice clothes. Her perception, see, because the Bible becomes confusing when you read everybody else and listen to everybody else and watch everybody else. All of a sudden when it says, give to the Lord the first fruit of all your increase, and then your barns will press out with new wine, you'll have all this new stuff. See, that becomes confusing when you got to make a decision of faith. So... I got to tell you, I called Michelle and Chuck in the office and I said, what happened, guys? They said, well, pastor, we, we know the Bible says, these are the Sunday school teachers. These are, these are like Nazarenes, been Nazarenes for 40 years. They're like the four generation Nazarenes, good people. They just got confused. They were listening to the wrong people, reading the wrong books. They thought they had authority to tell somebody the word of God is different than it says. We don't have that authority. No preacher has that authority. No Christian has the authority to switch the Word of God on you so it makes you feel better. Oswald Chambers says when you do that, you become an amateur province. You stand in the way of somebody and you're stopping them from being fully delivered in Christ. So I listened to that. And they're talking. I said, well, so what happened? She said, well, we, we told Valerie. We told her that, you know, God understands. And, you know, if you, can, you, know, if you don't pay tithe this month, God understands them. My dander got up, man. I mean, I had hair back then, so I'd have dandruff when I had. And, and I got mad. I got so angry. I, I looked over in Christian love. And I said, Michelle and Chuck, I love you very much. But I said, you do not have the authority to change the Word of God. I said, I want to read you a scripture. And this is the scripture I read to them. I just want you to hear it. Because I did read this. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. It says, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you there's not enough room for you to even store it up. I said, Michelle, Chuck, tell me what part of that says that you have permission to tell somebody something different than God said. I did it. I, I said that. I know pastors aren't supposed to say stuff like that. But I think the word of God is more important than me. When I said that, Chuck and Michelle both fell on their faces and began to weep and say, Pastor, we're sorry. We didn't realize what we were doing. We, were, we were just wanted to be nice. We didn't want to hurt their feelings. Did you, did you hear that? That sounds so, doesn't that sound nice? What they said, doesn't that sound really humanistic? Doesn't that make you feel good when somebody says, oh, don't worry. I mean, you know, it, it's no big deal if you commit adultery. Just every now and then. You're going to sin every day in thought, word, deed. Anyway, just pick the one you want. Pick this one, pick that one. Just get the one you like and you'll be okay. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says 
bring the Lord the first. Now, you don't have to tithe. You don't have to. But then you don't give yourself availability to all that God has for you, His power and His grace and His mercy and His love. And you're saying to Him, I don't want what you got. See, I believe the wind of coming in from God is only as big as the wind of going out from you. I want a big old hole. I don't believe in name it, claim it, stab it, grab it. I don't believe in posterity theology. But I believe in the Word of God. And that right there, folks, is the Word of God. And the Word says, give to the Lord the first fruits. Not what you have left. The first, the best. He says, verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. Says the Lord Almighty, I got these people in my church. They come to my church every week. I need money, Pastor. I need 20 bucks. I need 30 bucks. I need 20 bucks. I need 30 bucks. They always need money. They've never tithe. All their stuff's always breaking down, man. Their kids are always sick. My kids are, just do just, my kid was supposed to be dying and she's well. I'm not saying our kids don't get sick, but I got to tell you, there's some kind of a consistent pattern there that I watched. I see it all the time, man. My car just hardly ever breaks down. I don't think I'm smart about buying cars. I think this is the Word of God right here. That's what I believe. It says, then, listen, this is the best part. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. I always tell people this, and you're not going to believe it. I, I taught my daughter how to tithe. You know, I, taught, I took her, I just did a tree job. We were living in St. Louis. I cut the top out of a big old birch tree. And I made $800 in an hour and a half. Pretty good money, huh? Wow. I did. And so, so I went and cashed it because I was going to try to teach my daughter stewardship, right? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't believe in tithing. Hold on, don't get mad at me. You'll, you'll like it when I'm done. I think tithing is the training wheels of stewardship. Amen. Training wheels. Amen. It's like pushing a scooter instead of driving a 5.0 liter Mustang Cobra. That's the difference. Uh, so, but anyway, so I took Katie, I took $800, I stuck it in my wallet, and I took her to McDonald's, right? And so we went to McDonald's, and, and I ordered a, two hamburgers, two order fries, two Cokes. Went and sat down. I ate my hamburger fries real quick. And Katie's real slow. She, that's how she eats. I'm being honest with you. She's slow. You know, she took after her mother. Thank God. See, that'd be an ugly woman, buddy, if she took after me. She... My daughter, we sat there and I said, Katie, can I have a couple of your fries? You know what she said to me? She said, Daddy, those are my fries. She did this. She put her hands over. She said, you already ate your fries. I said, oh, those are your fries. She said, yes, they are. I said, well, where'd you get them from? She said, well, that lady at the counter gave them to me. I said, oh, go up there and ask her for another order then. I said, Katie, I pulled out my $800 bills. I laid them out. I said, Katie. I've got enough money right here in my pocket. I could drown you. I could baptize you in French fries. I said, but if you're not going to give me a few of yours, I'm not going to get you anymore. She, Daddy, have all you want. Just go ahead and have you. So she's starting to learn a little bit, you know. And then, so then I took her to the bank, and I took one of those $100 bills, and I took her to the Western Bank in, in Albuquerque, and I said, uh, I want to start her checking account. Put $100 in checking account. I had to sign for it. She had her own little book and everything. She's just all excited, you know. I think she might have been seven or eight years old. And uh, I don't even know if it was in her name, but it was hers. Her name was on the checks eventually. And uh, so the next week I took her to McDonald's, I mean to Walmart, right? And Katie wanted a bicycle really bad. Bad. She wanted a bicycle bad. So I, I walk her by the bicycle rack. And there's this beautiful pink bicycle that's got the little white things on it and the little white 
basket, a little white flat thing on the back. It's got little frilly little princess things all over, little things that fly off the hair. Oh, it's just the cutest little thing. Little sticky things all over it. She saw that. She said, Daddy, you think I could buy that bicycle? I said, well, okay, what do you think? She said, well, I got $100 in the bank. I said, well, you do have $100 in the bank. She said, can we buy it? I said, let's just talk about this for a minute, Katie. I said, what if you went down that bank and you said, I want to withdraw $75 because I've got 100 in the bank and I want to withdraw 75 I said, how would you feel if they said, no, ma'am, you're only getting 10%? I said, how would you feel about that? She'd say, I would protest. Like that, she said. She said, because that's my money. I said, Katie, that's exactly what God thinks when he asks us for something that we have. It's not your money. We're just stewards. Amen. I didn't mean to preach on tithing. I'm just telling you, that's just what the Bible says. That's what the Word teaches. See, I told you, I never tithe. I've never tithed in my life. In fact, every time I look at my giving at the end of the year, I've never given less than 25% of my income back to the church, ever. That's wonderful. Don't I look poor? I just, I'm like a blowtorch. I can make it look big when I want to. I'm really skinny. I went for six years. I was pastoring a church of 900, and the economy hit. I was in Albuquerque, church of 900. I had $110,000 a year salary, and that was back in uh, 2003. The economy went down, and the housing market plummeted in those days, if you remember when that happened. Those, uh, savings and loan or credit union or something, it was horrible. I had 15 realtors in my church that went from making you know, $150,000 to $350,000 a year to being on food stamps in five months. My house was estimated at $293,000 in June. I sold it for $186,000 in January. That's what happened, and it's just horrible. So I had to make a decision. Our giving had dropped. I could either fire my staff or stop taking a salary, and I prayed. Don't do that. Don't. When, you get, when you have a problem like that, don't pray. Just do what you think's best, because if you pray, it's just going to mess you up. It'll just mess you up. So I just said, went and prayed, and the Lord said, stop taking a salary. I went to my board, my treasurer. I said, I don't want you to pay me anymore starting Sunday. He kind of was like in a daze, like the twilight zone. You think he was in a daze. You should have seen my wife when I told her. <laughs> she didn't work. You know what happened? God blessed us. I can't tell you all the story. It'll take too long because we're going to run out of time. But I just want to tell you that God, I went to Hawaii twice during that time. My wife got a job with the airlines, and she also worked for the Marriott. I, I, I had a friend call me and say, Pastor, I want to help you. I know you're not taking a salary, and you're, I don't know how you're going to survive, so I want to give you a, a $50,000 floor plan. I, I want you to come to my auction up here, and I want you to buy cars and sell them online. I started buying Mercedes and Volvos and Porsches and Jaguars, and I'd make two to $5,000 a car. I made more money two days a week. I told my church, I said, I don't want any more salary but I, until I'll tell you when. I, when I want, I'm not suggesting you, you should pay your pastor more than you have. And they wanted to pay me more than they had. I just didn't want, I wasn't going to take it that time because I didn't want to fire my staff and stop ministry. And I want you to know during those years, I was, I was given a, I was given a, a two-year-old Saab convertible, SC uh, turbo Saab, red Saab with a black convertible. Nicest car I ever had in my life. I could never afford it, but God gave it to me. And then about in the middle of that time, that was a six-year period I went, and then a lady gave me a, 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 one of those big old Cadillacs, Fleetwood. It had 63,000 miles on it. Beautiful, perfect. She's an old woman. She never drove the thing. It was a, it's a sin to have a Cadillac with, with that engine and never drive it over 40. 
But I, I helped it catch up real quick when I got it. I didn't speed. I just got up to the speed limit fast. That's all. I want you to know I lived better in those six years than I ever lived. For six years, I went without a salary. And God blessed me. Because you know why? Because, because it's not my money. Everything I had belongs to him. Amen? That's not my idea. That's not my. See, here's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say you can tithe until you get in trouble. Now, I'm not your pastor, so you don't have to get mad at me. I'm leaving on Saturday. You don't have to ever look in my face again. But I'm telling you what the Word of God says. Number C, the Word of God tells us how to love other people. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. I love this. Let's read it together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Wait a minute. Above myself? You mean I'm supposed to be happier when you get a stake than I am when I get a stake? Yeah, that's what he's saying. Above yourself. Value others better than you value yourself. Well, that just would end a lot of arguments in the church, wouldn't it? Where do you want to go? I want to go over here and get steak. Well, I want to get fish. I want to get steak, fish, steak, fish, fight. Mom and dad fight. I like, remember old Luann and uh, Gomer? Did y'all watch Gomer Powell, USMD? Anybody ever watch that? Well, he had a girlfriend named Luann. She's real, kind of real, real tender and tame. And, and they'd get in these fights. And here's what they'd say. He'd say, well, Luann, she said, he'd say, where would you like to eat tonight? She'd say, well, I don't care, Gomer, wherever you want to eat. He said, no, Luann, we want to eat where you want to eat. He said, no. She said, no, I want to eat where you want to eat. And they'd have this argument because neither of them wanted their way. I just like to have a marriage like that. That's called a Christian marriage. When you love your mate more than you love yourself and you'd rather her be happy and pleased or him be happy and pleased than you, would you be happy and pleased? That's what the Bible teaches. Somebody say amen and ouch. That's what it says. I don't have time. I'm not going to tell you the story about Alana. It doesn't say we love people until they take advantage of us. It doesn't say we love people until we, until we feel like they've, they've, they've ripped us off. It says we love them because we love them, not because we get something back. Not because they're going to give I said it the other night. We all love people the same whether they can hurt us or help us. Treat everybody the same. But almost everybody you know can either hurt you or help you. Number four, it teaches us to stay pure. I love the scripture, Psalms 119, 9 through 16. Here's what it says. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Listen, guys, ladies, I want you to hear this. This is important. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Here it is, by living according to your word. <laughs> That's it, man. Just fill yourself up with the word of God, and you'll start liking that more than you like making out. Woo, <laughs> I believe that. It's true, man. There's a joy and an excitement about getting in the Word of God that just fulfills you and makes you so happy. They, who wants to kiss her when I can get in the Word, man? I know that sounds weird. I know. I like kissing my wife. But I got to tell you, I told her this when I married her. I said, honey, you need to know this. I love you more than anything on the planet, but you will always be number two in my life. If you want to be number one, I'm not marrying you. Because he'll always be number one. And it's worked out pretty good, 37 years, amen. <laughs> we dated for four years, I've been married 37 years. Yeah, praise God for that, that's good. In closing, everybody said amen. Uh, I didn't think y'all liked that that much, but you <laughs> like that. I believe we as Christians make ourselves vulnerable to the tricks of the enemy 
the wisdom of the world, the fears of our own minds and lives when we neglect the Word of God. When you start reading the Bible, you, you start thinking, wait a minute, that's confusing. Here's what happens. It's like Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, it says, but don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. See, every one of us in this room, we have dilemmas in our lives, and we have to make important decisions, moral decisions, ethical decisions. And we want to say, you know, the Bible's good, but man, that's just crazy. That doesn't make sense. That's, me, go witness to somebody? Come on, I'm an introvert. That's, I'm just not going to follow what the Bible says, because the Bible's crazy. It's written a long time ago. Those people are stupid. No. See, what it's saying is if the world fits, you're the wrong size. That's what Paul's saying there in Romans. He said, always, when there's a choice to make, whether you're going to do what God's Word says or what you feel like doing or what you want to do or what everybody else says to do, you don't do that. You do what God's Word says. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. I love this, 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of his age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, all this stuff we get confused about sounds pretty good. You know, oh, that book over there says I need to be happy. Well, that friend over there says I, 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 I can go ahead and buy stuff, and I don't, it doesn't matter if I steal from God. He'll, he'll understand. All that stuff, and you can do that. But you suffer the consequences of disobedience. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. <laughs> Pretty smart, huh? They missed the biggest thing that ever showed up. <laughs> that's like some guy running around stomping all the ants out and he misses the elephant. That's, that's what this scripture's saying. Since the wisdom of the world through his wisdom and did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. That's the word. To save those who believe. That is, I believe the word above what I feel. I believe the word above what everybody says. I believe the word about what some of these liberal churches are doing. I believe the word of God is my foundation. And I'm going to stand on it until I look foolish. Amen. That's what the word of God does. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Here it is. Psalms 119.16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. The question I'd like to ask you to answer tonight in your own heart is this. Are you neglecting the word of God? I want you to think about that for a minute. Because I know we're in church and we're all spiritual and we're all supposed to look spiritual. But I know what goes on in our hearts because I love Jesus. And there are many times in my life when something happens in my life and I've got to make a really hard decision. And I've got to decide, am I going to do what God's Word says even though it sounds nutso, crazy? Even if it's going to make me uncomfortable, maybe not even happy. Is my happiness based on who I'm hanging around with and how much money I have or how nice my clothes are? Is my happiness based on something so much larger than all that? See, according to Paul in Philippians, he says, I have a peace that doesn't make sense. It transcends understanding. A peace that when the whole world's going nuts and everybody's running around with their hair on fire, I get to be the adult in the room. Because I have a peace that doesn't make sense. It's a stupid peace. It's a kind of joy that doesn't come from getting another check, another car, a bigger house, or a better job. 
It's the kind of joy that comes in spite of all those and if you never get one of them. That's the kind of joy that the Word of God brings to us. That's what Jesus talks about when he says, blessed are you. Oh, you like that one? That's pretty funny. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Happy are you. That's what that means. Happy are you when people beat you up. Woo! That doesn't make any sense, does it? It's, it? It sounds crazy, but that's exactly what it's saying. Because your happiness is not based on how you feel. It's not based on your physical pleasures. It's not based on who your friends are or how pretty your wife is or handsome your husband is or how much money you have in the bank or what good a car you drive or how nice of clothes you have or how big a house you have or how big your bank account is or how prestigious your job is. Your happiness, if you're a Christian, is based in one thing, your relationship with Jesus. That's it. And when you don't have that, you can have all the rest of the stuff and you're going to be empty and void. But you don't want to admit it. Because if you admit it, you'd have to do something about it. Are you neglecting the Word of God? Has the Word of God exposed something? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around. And I'm, I'm going to do something kind of weird tonight. I'm going to read that passage in Hebrews. And I've been praying my guts out, I'm telling you, for you guys. I believe that God's Word has been penetrating some people here today, and I, and I hope that you're sensitive enough to the Spirit to let Him get into you. So here's what we're going to do. As I read the Scripture, and as they play, they're not going to sing yet, but they're going to play this song. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to think back early in the service. I asked you, is there something that God has exposed in you? this week the most natural thing a, a real person of God does is when they recognize they're wrong they deal with it that's a courageous step it's a coward that recognizes something wrong and hides it I think the best evidence that somebody loves God is they, they recognize it when they fail because they don't want to fail anymore people that don't see they keep failing in the same way that's why habits develop and behaviors develop that destroy our soul so I want you just to listen and as I read the scripture if God and I want you I want you to stand because I want it to be easy for you to move out I, we're going to close the service with prayer like we do every night somebody said why do you give an invitation every night because I want to get people really I want I want God's word to get us right I want us to leave here revived and you're not going to leave revived if there's junk in your life that's holding you up and preventing you from having all of God. So would everyone just stand? Everybody. And as I, as I read this scripture, I'm just going to let the Word of God. I, I was praying about this this afternoon. I said, God, give me this profound illustration to close this service. It'll just get everybody's attention. The Lord said, just let the Word do it. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And when I read this scripture... If you feel like God's exposing something in your life or has this week, maybe he's exposed in you that you need to move up a level of grace and you didn't come forward. You're the same Christian you were on Sunday morning when you came to church and, and that's not good enough. Maybe he's exposed in you that, that you're not doing enough for loss like we talked about Sunday night. Maybe he's exposed in you that you're not praying like you know you should. And maybe you've tried, you've wanted to, but you just get so busy and what the Bible says confuses you. You know you need to change that. Maybe you don't love the lost as much as Jesus did. Maybe there's some habit or behavior in your life. It doesn't have to be anything nasty. It might be. It may just be pride or 
arrogance or ego or selfishness or your reputation is more important than your faith. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read the scripture. And if God's speaking to you and there's something in your heart that you just need to confess to God, this is a safe place right here. I want you to slip out. In fact, you all start moving right now because I believe God's been speaking to people from the beginning of this service. How many of you would say, God's revealed something to me this week. I need to change. Would you raise your hand? Well, you know, I'm going to ask you to come and pray. And don't be bashful. If, if, if he has, I want you to start moving out right now before I read. And then as I read, I want others to step out as God reveals something in your life that he's exposed that he'd like to clean up. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates. Has the word got through to you this week? Are you resisting it? It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul, the spirit, the joints, and the marrow. You ready for this one? It judges the thoughts, the attitudes of the heart. Are there some thoughts and attitudes in your heart? They're trying to make you do action that you don't want to do. The way to deal with that is at the root. Deal with it tonight. Confess that thought. Confess that attitude. Just come on down and kneel here. There's plenty of room. Come and just ask God, I want to get this thing out of me. I've got some thoughts. I've got some attitudes in my heart and my life that aren't good. They're damaging to me. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation Everything in all creation, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Did you hear that? Now, I want you just to be patient for a minute. We're just about done. There's some people here. I know there's some hardcore people in every church I've been in. They're good people. They, they're nice people. They're, good, they're godly people. But there's been something they've been holding on to uh, that they think they can just keep hiding it. And I just want you to know, I've been praying that God would just un uncover that today. Wouldn't you like to get delivered tonight or do you just want to keep on living that way? I, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I know God does because he asked me to say this tonight. I think that there's some people here, a couple people, that there's some things in your life you know God isn't pleased with and you, you want to stay and you want to keep, you want to look spiritual. God wants you to be spiritual. <laughs> Somebody told me the other day as they were leaving, they said, I'm under deep conviction. I said, don't get under conviction, get busy. Just confess it. Confession is so wonderful. You know the three most beautiful words in the English language? I was wrong. They're liberating. <laughs> It'll set you free. The next three most beautiful words is, I am sorry. The next three is, please forgive me. We'll give you a chance to respond. Then here it is. Everything in, is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to him to whom we must all give an account. Bible could be confusing if we've not been in it. John 14, 61, I mean, 14, 6 says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there's a move in the culture today saying, well, there's many paths to heaven, many roads to get to heaven, there are many ways. See, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
the only way. I'm the way, truth and life, Jesus said. So last, last request, and we're going to close our eyes and pray tonight. No one looking around, last request. You've been kind of holding on to that seat in front of you. And, and you know there's something that you need to, get, you need to let go of. You didn't come tonight, but there's something that's in you that you need to get out. I'm not going to invite you to come forward. I just want to know how to pray for you. I'm going to end the service in a moment. You say, there's something in me that I know needs to come out, and I don't have the courage to get it out, but would you pray for me that I would get courage? I want you just to slip your hand up. No one's looking at me. I'm going to just kind of scan the sanctuary. There's something in my life that I need to let God have. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes, thank you, sir. Yes, ma'am. There's something hidden. I'm kind of a hardcore. I got this thing in me. Thank you got an attitude or a disposition or some kind of a thing in my life. Anybody else? Thank you. See that hand. Pray for you. Anybody else? Thank you. Yes. Are there others? There's something in there I need to get out. Just slip your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. I've seen your faces. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're a Christian and you know how to pray, I want you to step out of your, your, your aisle. I want you to come and put your hand on someone's shoulder real quick. You're all ministers. That means you can pray for people. Pastor's not the only one that prays for people. He does, but we all need. Could some of you Christians come and just place your hand on the shoulder of somebody down there? I'd like to have one Christian behind each person. Would you please move out as quick as you could? Or you could wait and we could stay here till 10. If you come now, we can get done quicker. Would you just pray for somebody? It doesn't mean you're more spiritual than them. It just means that they're fighting a battle that you're not fighting. Just come and place your hand on them. And if you raised your hand a minute ago and you want to go ahead and come down and get rid of that, you're welcome to, but, but no, no pressure on you. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask the praise team to sing this song for us, and then after they have, we're going to have a time of prayer together. Would you just pray for that person next to you? And thank you if you're in the congregation, you may be seated. Would you go ahead and lead us in the song?